Hi, I'm Nate in Colorado. I'm Rochella in North Carolina. And I'm James in London. And we are Friends in Formation, a podcast where three very different friends take your questions about life and faith with the goal of really listening to and learning from each other. This podcast is created by Renovare, a Christian renewal effort offers resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. Do email us your questions at friends at renovare.org. That's friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E. And if we do use your question, we will gladly send you an official Friends Information book. What a lovely gift that is <laughs> to I, have. I'm I have one mine. now. That's <laughs> got, right. I have mine. I'm thrilled to have it. It's enviable, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say a quick word about the questions we're getting, y'all. I am blown away by how wonderful, how in-depth, how thoughtful, how kind the messages we've gotten are. I want to make sure our listeners know that we receive, we read every question, we pray about how we might respond, and we seek to respond really, really thoughtfully. However, we cannot respond to every question. And honestly, there are some questions that we just don't feel called to respond to. I mean, let's face it, we're talking about things for 15 minutes about the three of us for 15 minutes for each question. And some things are just way too big to broach in 15 minutes of time. Don't, don't you guys agree? So yeah. we're not going to, we're not going to answer every question on air, but we do want to say thank you to people for, for sending them and for listening and being here with us. And that we keep them, right? Like we review the old questions just because it doesn't get answered right away doesn't mean we won't later. That's right? exactly right. Yeah. And there are ones that I genuinely don't know the answer to. <laughs> well, there is that, if right? I'm, if I'm really <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not going to pretend to be what we're not. What we are is three friends who care very deeply about one another and about our relationship with Jesus and the way we interact with all of our listeners. Yeah, yes, indeed. And look, here's one that we're going to come and answer in a future podcast. So here's an idea. We're going to trail a question that we'd love to come back to in a future broadcast. So if anybody wants to comment on this, please you know, email us. The question is, what advice have you for someone who grew up in the church and is now losing faith, who's now really uh, losing faith. Mm. I think this is somebody who's aged 22, brought up in a wonderful home, Christian parents. What advice have you for someone who's about to give up on faith? Mm. I've got some thoughts on that, but I'm not going to say anything at this point. I I tend to find Yeah, and I need longer to think about it. (laughs) Okay. We're going to come back yeah. to it. Okay. Yeah. The next time. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm really enjoying about the questions is it gives me things to think about. And as they come in, I just, uh, it, just let it cook for a while. Well, one of the things that, uh, questions that came in, well, actually it was a response, uh, to, a, a past episode. And it was an episode where we talked about Sabbath. And in that, um, I believe it was you, Rochelle, were you talking about your, your grandmother? Yeah, I told the story of what Sabbath was like for 
grandfather and grandmother and how that was very different. Yes, and how diligent your your grandmother worked and cooking dinner and, and basically working uh, throughout the whole day. And I made an offhanded comment uh, about it being sexist. We had a, a response from someone who uh, shared with us their story of their grandmother and how much they learned from them that she just loved, you know, spending Sunday cooking these big meals and how special that was and mm. that she learned about service and, and was moved by that. Now, I want to combine that question a little bit with we, we've gotten actually quite a few questions related to uh, gender. And we've we got a question about women in ministry, question about gender roles. And one I thought was very interesting about different hurdles that women, like a young mother, might face for different spiritual practices, and, and if we have any anything to say about that. So I wonder if we could just, one, give mugs to all of them, two, <laughs> see if we can't roll this into one, one statement uh, or, or one topic. Does that work for you guys? Mm. <laughs> Thanks, Nathan. So much to say. So, so much, I mean, much so to say. So much to say. Where do we start? I'll start as, as the one who was addressed uh, in, in that. And maybe the first thing I'll say is that I just assumed it was a given in hearing the story that that was something uh, sexist. Certainly, the listener who emailed in, man, that sounds great. Service is something that's voluntary, not compulsory. Mm -hmm. And if this was something that was mutually agreed upon, then absolutely go for it. Mm -hmm. um, and thank you for, for, for pointing that out. Part of my comment was born out of my experience uh, as a counselor and hearing similar stories from women after women, often in tears, about the roles that they felt were put upon them and it felt like they had no choice in, and that it was soul-crushing. And this was really helpful for me as a male to, to learn about. Through the years, realized I've been blind to a number of, of these issues and have found it extremely helpful to learn about male privilege and some of these things that I afford and uh, or some of these things that I'm afforded as a as a male and some of the stories and experiences that women, uh, women have. So at any rate, that was a little bit of, of, of my thoughts behind it, but you guys help me out here. What do you think? Well, as the one who was telling the story that, that the sweet listener responded to, I, I would say that in general, my grandmother and mother probably were not dissimilar to our listeners, mother and grandmother. I think largely they were offering service to their family out of love. It's just that in looking back on it now, I can see that their ability to keep the Sabbath was in fact hampered because they were expected by everything, not just by their husbands and their children, but by society, they were expected to do these things. And if you pick that apart as we 21st century folks are so wont to do, we can see that there might be some inherent sexism there. But I think at the time I said they weren't meaning to be sexist. And I really believe that's true. I don't think there was any intention on the part of my grandfather or father to be sexist. It's just that that's pretty much the way the world was organized at the time. What I feel like is incumbent upon us now to do is to say, okay, given what we've learned, what should we take away? How should our eyes be opened? And how shall we now live 
in light of some of the things that we've gleaned. For instance, I think a lot of people's eyes were opened big time by the whole Me Too movement, right? That's become real political and it's gotten to be messy. But I think there are probably a lot of men's eyes and maybe a lot of women's eyes were opened by just how many women have at some point been abused or harassed. And I think there are lots and lots of men who had no idea all of that was going on. Part of the reason lots of men had no no idea all that was going on is because they themselves were not like that. I'm guessing, Nate, James, you guys, I don't think ever harassed women, (laughs) much less abused women. But my guess is you were surprised to learn that a lot of your neighbors and coworkers and friends and fellow church members have been subjects, objects of sexual abuse and sexual harassment. It's kind of the way our society has been, and it's something that needs to change. So it is a big subject, but I think it's one that we ought to talk about because, you know, hello, about half of us out here are girls. And we love Jesus, and and we need to talk about these things. I actually wasn't surprised. No? At all, no. Mm. I mean, the, the statistics of how many women have been assaulted is, is astronomical. What surprised me was, one, the courage that people had and the shock of society. And maybe to make a confession in here, through the years, to look back at the way in my teen years, the way that I thought dating worked and the way that I thought some of that was really, really wrong. So I think there's a huge cultural shift that's occurring but needs to occur, particularly in the way that men view women and and, and how they're treated. So I don't know. Uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people were surprised, but uh, boy, it's just glaring out there. Yeah. No, it is. And I think, you know, we need to come at the subject with a deep sense of repentance and do, I do, we do. I'm not convinced, if I'm really blunt, that the um, it wasn't intended, it, how far you can take that. It wasn't an intentional, because it was institutional, structural, cultural. So the fact that you were just carried along, we are just carried along, and, and future generations will comment on ours in attitudes we are doing mm. you know, now right. as we speak. But we want to be careful of the chronological snobbery, as I think right. um, <laughs> yeah. C.S. Lewis, he talked about that, you know, chronological, that our generation is superior because a future generation is going to do the same with us. But this unintentional, I'm not convinced because I think there's a structural sexism, there's a structural misogyny that we need to call out. And, you know, the fact is church and churches play into this. I read a book that is a secular book, not a book to endear the church, not an easy read is a book called Rage Becomes Her, and it's by Soraya Chemele. But in this book, she's saying very clearly that the church, I mean, she says that religious sexism is still sexism. Mm. You know, we might call it something else, but it is still that. 
she says that gender role expectations and the biases are baked into them and they're inseparable from the religious environment. She's very strong about the rage that women often have when the roles are assumed or put upon each of us. And the men suffer from it to some degree as well, although, of course, the men are the ones in power. So it's not as equal saying, well, we're all victims um, here. That's not, I don't think that works either, because the power imbalance is in there. I want to come back in this issue to the thing about hearing God speak, because I want to hear him speak. God's speaking is what I'm after. And I need all gender. I need all race. I need everybody to take part of that because the kingdom of heaven will include everybody. So if I want to hear him speak, I need as many people speaking. And I've been hugely blessed by women teaching me. You know, I, I, I was hugely impressed. As a child, I used to hear a woman called Helen Rosevere, who used to, as an evangelist overseas, she would be preaching and teaching and bringing people to you know Jesus, but then wasn't allowed to preach and teach at home. Mm-hmm. I was hugely impacted by Joyce Huggett. I was in the church, and Joyce was a very fine speaker there. I've been very touched with Evelyn um, you know, Underhill, who was a British Anglican teacher in the 1920s. Her prayers are wonderful. I recommend her work. These are people who have deeply impacted me. And to think I would have I lost out on them is just unbearable because they've been such an important influence. Mm -hmm. If I could, James, tag on to a couple of things you said there. One about um, hearing from all genders, all races. That's really important to me because very often in the evangelical church, we tend to think of God only, well, to be honest, we tend to think of God as a man. Now, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is a man, and it's perfectly appropriate to think of Jesus as a man. But Scripture contains a lot of imagery of God as a a mother, as well as a father. Jesus called God the Father, Abba. I'm perfectly happy of thinking of God the Father, but maybe it might be helpful for many people just to think of God the parent. You know, there's a lot of imagery of like a a hen gathering her chicks or a nursing mother. You know, God is spirit and as as much a a mother as a father. And I think that's really important. You you can't get a, a full image of God by using only the image of the male. So that is important. And I, too, have been deeply impacted by the teaching of women as well as the teaching of men. And I think you are spot on when you speak of power. That's what's really at stake here. This We're talking about a power differential. And the world will not be fixed by removing all the men from power and putting women in power. 
that's not how things are going to be made right. We need to think in terms of being like Jesus, who set aside his power to serve and to love. Mm. And so if all we're thinking about is the power differential, I think we're going to be wide of the mark. Yeah. I appreciate that you would actually name female teachers who have so impacted you. When I think of our Renovari ministry team, my word, there's many women as men. The gifted teachers are male and female. And if I could say it's been that way since the beginning, Mm. Richard Foster and, and Dallas Willard have always affirmed the role of women in the church. I would like to mention one resource that's very new, but very valuable, I think, as people delve into the issue of the role of women in the church. Because you're right, there is institutional sexism that has been preserved. And people can tend to get real defensive because these are they have been taught that these are issues of faith. And if they question a particular verse, maybe they're not even really believers. <laughs> yeah. There's a new book by Beth Allison Barr, and it is called The Making of Biblical Womanhood, mm. How the Subjugation of Women Became the Gospel Truth. And I recommend it highly. Beth is an, yeah. Beth is an historian, and she's also a devout, devoted Christian and married to a man who was for many years a Southern Baptist pastor. So she remained in an evangelical church in which she was not really allowed to exercise all of her gifts, but she felt it important to be there. She finally got to the point that she felt she had to speak out because she was actually hearing some things in the church that were just false. They were denying history. And there was even some heresy, some theological heresy. And she felt called to call it out. And she did it largely through this book. So I highly recommend it because this is one of those issues we're not going to solve in a 15-minute conversation. But if you really want to delve into the role of women in the church, I'd say start there. It's written in love for her fellow human beings, and for Christians. It's it's written with deep tenderness. It's not attacking the church. It seeks to edify. Thank you. Wow, guys. (laughs) The issue of (laughs) the role of men and women is huge. But one of the reasons it's so important to me leads me into the next question. A couple of listeners have written to us. One, Thomas thanked us for the podcast and then said, my question is focusing on communicating with the Trinity. When having an inner dialogue with God the Father, Jesus the Eternal Son, and the Holy Spirit, I'd like to know whom you address. And then later, we got a question from a different listener. This one was from John, who said, who do you pray to and why? I pray to Almighty God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Thank you. So people are curious about the Trinity, and here's why I think that really ties in to our discussion about the role of women. I have been struck 
in the past several years by my study of the Trinity, by the fact that what we're really talking about is eternal relationship. And the more I study the Trinity, the more I'm convinced that relationship is really important to God. And in fact, that God is in God's very being relationship. It is the being of relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who created us in God's image. So I think a lot of what we might believe about how men and women interact can be answered if we're willing to take an honest look at the Trinity. But guys, it's such a mind-blowing topic, right? Even to talk about the Trinity will blow our minds. But let's talk about it for a few minutes. Well, thanks, Rochelle. I, I, you know, we go from one massive issue to the next. This episode. <laughs> I mean, as if uh, a really profound experience for me was moving from praying to God as God to praying with God as Trinity. It was a hugely significant you know, step for me. And I found that the God praying to God, perfectly good, nothing bad in that, but in, in, in able to see God as Trinity, as three, is exactly the point you've said about community, its relationship, and this extraordinary idea that we're invited into community with him. There's a little joke that Talus used to say, someone asked him, what was God doing before the formation of the world? And God said he was enjoying themselves. That's right. <laughs> he was enjoying themselves um, in the sense that God is one, yes, but God is Trinity. And I think that for me, that gave a complexion to God by seeing mm-hmm. him as, you know, Jesus spirit father i don't know quite why it was such a profound experience but i certainly did find that and very important to me has been to sit with jesus if i'm open about my experience of prayer it's profoundly been impacted with the idea of sitting with jesus and jesus being present where i am now when i was beginning out on this, I even would picture Jesus as a physical individual and he'd sit on a chair beside me almost or across the room. That's not been as helpful now, but it's the physical presence of Jesus in the room. I found that hugely impactful. I found Trinity, as in spirit, you know, Holy Spirit. We we often say the Holy Spirit, but we could also say Spirit, who is um, holy, and the characteristic of the Spirit as you know, holy. So, if you want that Spirit in you, that's the Holy Spirit, a Spirit that works well, that functions well, that can do what is intended, can do what needs to be done at the time it needs to be done. That's what holiness is. And Mm -hmm. the spirit of the holy enters us and we pray with him. Of course, the Holy Spirit is often seen as the poor cousin of Jesus. 
<laughs> you know, the sort of not quite sure where to put the spirit. We know where Jesus is. He's the saviour, victorious. But the Holy Spirit, what do we do with? We want to enfranchise the Holy Spirit and bring bring her in. You know, it's interesting to me to think about this question because I grew up, I guess the best way to describe it is largely cessationist. Yeah. That's a long word, and it just means that um, the general belief was that the work of the Holy Spirit in the church was in the first century. So some people would use cessationist to mean that the gifts of the Spirit, things like you know, healing and speaking in tongues and those kinds of things were for the first century only. But here's what happens. If you believe that that direct work of the Holy Spirit was only for a particular time, then you just stop talking about the Holy Spirit. Right. And if you right. stop talking about the Holy Spirit, you never, never stop to think about the role of the Holy Spirit right. currently. Right. And it's a problem because... Um, it, it's interesting to me that that these two people questioned, how do we pray? Do we pray to Father, Son, and Spirit? And I'm really interested in your history there, James, because the same has been true for me. I used to always pray just, dear God, or mm-hmm. Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if I were following the Our Father or the Lord's mm-hmm. Prayer. And I have changed to pray very specifically to Father, Son, and Spirit. Mm. What I truly believe to be the case, though, is whether we name Father, Son, and Spirit when we pray or not, the reality is that we are praying to the Trinity. Hmm. You know, the members of the Trinity are one. Father, Son, and Spirit are inseparable. So when we name Father, Son, and Spirit in our prayers, we're just stating reality. It's reality that's mind-blowing. It's revealed to us as mystery, right? We're never going to figure it out, but it is the way it is. The relationship of the Father, Son, and Spirit is the foundation of all reality. And so naming them when I pray just brings it home to me a little bit more. It is the way it is. I am quite certain that God has his theology all sorted out <laughs> and it has has no problem <laughs> with the fact that it. ours uh, right yeah I, I, I think I think know. God's got his identity pretty pretty well sorted. but I do like to align myself with reality with my language when I can. That's what confession is, right? I mean, if you think about confession, it, the, it is just stating the truth, whether I'm saying something I've done that's wrong or whether I'm saying what I believe, I'm stating the truth. And I think that when we pray to God the Father, God the Eternal Son, and God the Spirit, we're aligning our language with the reality of the Trinity. Well, then there's also the Father God as Father, and that's been an important part of the journey I've had to recalibrate some of my images of fathers, as I'm sure others have had to as well. Mm -hmm. And it's been a fascinating journey over my Christian walk, how my image of God has changed 
hugely by recalibrating on my image of a father. Now, some of us, we need to be attentive and, and intentional about reframing how we see God as father. But let's try to work at that if we're able to. You guys are saying a lot of really good stuff. Maybe I comment first on James, that last part, because uh, a lot of people have to do that because, you know, mm-hmm. there are people whose fathers were just horrific and yeah. that's a huge barrier for a lot of people. And, and I've, I've met people who I think very well intended who will make reference to God as mother. I don't think that would be too theologically challenging to, to work. Also really like your comment, Rochelle, about tapping into reality. I don't think it makes so much of a difference because I think these are issues uh, issues of the heart. Uh, I'm with you guys. I very much love studying, meditating, working with the idea of Trinity, this uh, mutually submissive dance. Mm. It's, just, it's just beautiful. And it gives us a, a lovely model, a helpful model for h- how we can interact with each other. Mm-hmm. I've found Celtic Christians teaching and experience with Trinity to be extremely extremely helpful uh, concerning who to pray to. So that's what I want to kind of get at. And I'm so glad this was brought up because I see a tension in people and it's a kind of unspoken thing. And here's the concern, maybe a health warning I'd have in that, uh, is <laughs> wherever you land on it, be weary or aware of a, a, a magic religion. And, and if you, mm-hmm. if you yeah. pause, think a little bit about it. This is littered all through Christian culture, boxing up God into some uh, sort of, uh, if I get the right incantation, if I say all the right words, then God will listen or hold the levers and God will respond. And to me, this is hugely problematic because it misses the whole idea of relationship. And Mm -hmm. uh, I, I see it as an issue of your heart. So uh, I love the fact that both of you found it helpful to begin to um, you know, pray to the Trinity and, and explore these different dimensions of God. I, I seldom give a name. I usually mm. just say hi, or I just mm. start with, you know what I'm thinking about? I mean, it's almost like that idea of praying without ceasing. I, I think of the phone, you know, you're making a phone call and you never hang up. Mm. So as I examine it, I think I very rarely even give a name. And, and then I got thinking about how I do that with friends. I very seldom, you know, James, here's what I'm thinking, you know, hi, how you do? I mean, we seldom do that, particularly with intimate. Uh, I think I reference my wife's name very, very seldom. The other piece I thought of was it to a close friend, it wouldn't matter to me if they gave the proper name, you know, Dr. Foster or Mr. Like, I don't care. It's about relationship. So I think that's maybe the, the, the piece I would add to it. In my mind, these are issues of the heart. I love that, Rochelle, that we're just, we're tapping into reality. Whether or not we say Trinity, we're praying to the Trinity. That's right. And Nate, I appreciate your emphasis on the heart and not on magic. Because here's the thing with magic. If we feel like we've got the just the right incantation, then we can expect everyone else to use that incantation <laughs> as well, right? <laughs> no, this this is this is the Lord of all creation, the Savior of all, the intercessor. I mean, the, the Trinity is at the heart of all reality. 
And there's no magic way to address the Trinity, and there's no required form of address. Instead, there's the invitation to be part of the incredible fullness of life that Mm -hmm. the Trinity extends to us. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. And and, and I just add, you know, it's fine if the way we we address or speak to God, you know, changes. I mean, there are different times in our journey, Mm -hmm. our life, our circumstances, you know, I think it's perfectly okay just to play around with it and change what what we do and freshen it up. So, um, yeah, I think this is all good stuff. Yeah. One quick note. In the show notes, I'm going to list several books that I found, found have found helpful in studying Great. the Trinity. If someone really wants to go deeper, um, when I wrote my book, Mythical Me, I, I had never found any help with the problem of comparison until I started studying the Trinity, which may sound silly, but you can read more about it in my book if you like. But I found several really, really helpful books, and I'll link those in the show notes. Yeah. Well, here's a question, or rather, here are a few about spiritual direction, because many people come and ask us both in this podcast, but also at our speaking things and um, you know emails and everything. I need a spiritual director. What do I do? Who do I? go to and so on. So here are just a few things we've had. Margaret wrote to say quite a few things very helpfully. One of them is, would a spiritual director be helpful to me to draw closer to the heart of God? Or would this be just one more interesting diversion from personally being able to hear from God? Now, I thought it was very well put. Adam adds a a number of things, very important comments, who's just finished training as a spiritual director and says that one of the weaknesses in a lot of spiritual formation writing is that often it focuses on individual spiritual practices, which I think can inadvertently emphasize the me and Jesus idea. It's just me and him. No one else is involved you know, asking how do we think about um, spirituality, spiritual direction in community, which I think was a very helpful point. And then Justin says, personally, I have struggled to find a mentor as I go through my own spiritual formation process. Sometimes I long for a Gandalf sort of (laughs) character from uh, (laughs) Lord of the Rings. As I go along this spiritual formation in a journey, I wonder if I should just find a spiritual director rather than a mentor. So a number of issues there. Is spiritual formation being the new way to follow Jesus? And what's your (laughs) advice and observations of it? I want a Gandalf. Right? Yeah. (laughs) It's like an old man or woman up on a hill that will give me all the answers in weird mystery puzzles. Anyway, um, I, I give a few comments on on spiritual Please. direction, and and I I love the heart behind it because what mm-hmm. what people are saying is I want to grow, and and is this something that would be helpful uh, for me? And then I love the emphasis on you know is this just Jesus and me, and what do we look at with with groups? 
uh, others. Uh, I, I was a part of a, uh, with some friends, group spiritual direction, which was really interesting mm-hmm. to uh, collectively explore our friendship in our lives together and where we found God in that. It was, it was, it was interesting. I would say I'm a fan. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. I have a spiritual director that's extremely helpful. I would say I don't think it's necessary. There are many wonderful people who lived a, 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 a good life following Jesus that did not have formal spiritual directors. And so I don't think of, think of it as a requirement. I would give a caution Another health uh, warning, if I could, if I could is my, my theme <laughs> yeah. today. There's potentially something problematic about it. Primarily, it's a one-sided, when done well, it's a one-sided relationship, completely mm-hmm. one-sided. And that's not natural. Uh, I think it's helpful, and I think there's a season and a time for it. Um, but it can contribute to some of the, me and Jesus, the kind of, uh, some of our kind of self-centeredness. Not necessarily, but but there is a potential to kind of continue to have a, another relationship that is uh, completely one-sided. I have this sense that some of the best, quote-unquote, spiritual direction, most helpful spiritual direction is done informally through friendships, through exchanges where we're asking each other the, the questions and we're listening to each other. Is listening to others is, uh, I, I think, an intricate part of it. The, the question about mentorship, yes, is <laughs> so helpful to have people that you're learning from, people that you're sharing life with, and people you're pouring into. So maybe just in short, I think it's wonderful, but it does have some potential challenges in my mind. I wonder, Nate, if um, and James, if it might be useful right now to give a definition of spiritual direction? Should we assume that everybody knows what spiritual direction is? It's visiting I, Gandalf. That's what Exactly. It is. Yeah. That, right. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm probably not the best person to define spiritual direction, but if I had to take a stab at it, I would say it tends to be a one-on-one relationship between someone who is trained in the art of helping another person listen for God's voice and listen to God. It is a spiritual director is a companion on your journey with Jesus. But you're right, Nate, it is one-sided. If you have a relationship with a spiritual director, the spiritual director will often be charging for his or her services. They will have some special training, but it will be all about your relationship with Jesus, not about the director's relationship with Jesus. So you're right that it is a little unnatural because it is one-sided like that. It's kind of like therapy or counseling. If you're in therapy, your therapist is concentrating on you and you're concentrating on you and no one's concentrating on the therapist. That's the way it's set up. Spiritual direction, I think, can be super helpful, just as you said. But I like the fact that you said that it might be especially helpful for a season, because I was really taken with that question about whether it would just be a pleasant diversion. Mm -hmm. And I think that questioner is thinking really well about this. Spiritual direction right now is, is kind of a hip thing. It's interesting because it's not a new thing. 
it's as old as Christianity, particularly within religious communities. You know, if you if you think of monasteries and abbeys, very often the the, the folks who lived within those cloistered communities had spiritual directors built into their to their systems of life. It's an old thing and has a long history within Christianity. But it, it has seen a real revival in recent years. And so there are all kinds of schools for spiritual direction. There, there's spiritual direction certification. There are directories that you can access online, sort of how do I find a spiritual director? There are all kinds of directories of spiritual directors. It's It has become something of an industry. That's not a bad thing because a spiritual director needs, if, if, if a person is going to hang out a shingle as a spiritual director, I think he or she needs some training and needs particularly some, some guidance about how to be a safe person <laughs> for the director's directees. Mm. So I'm not against certification. I'm not against training. I'm all for all of that. But I do think we we, we need to be careful that something like spiritual direction can become kind of an end in itself instead of a means to an end. And I think we, we need to keep our, our sights focused on wanting to journey with Jesus mm-hmm. ourselves. And if spiritual direction can help, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. If it becomes the point, then I think we've gone astray a little. That's helpful. That's helpful. I agree with everything. I think, Kate, your point about spiritual friendship is something I'd love to pick up on because, you know, it's been a privilege for me to walk alongside a lot of individuals. It's been a joy to do that. But I'm cautious about expectations as to what I can offer because we're listening with the individual. Rochelle's point is that it's me, the person I'm speaking to, and the Holy Spirit. I'm expecting a dynamic to be going on there. I'm so I listen to the individual, and I'm listening to what I'm wondering, what the Spirit might be saying, and I love it. I enjoy it enormously. It's all in play. It's it's in real time, and um, you never know what's going to come up. But I do like the spiritual. F- friendship emphasis there as well because I'm let me just be open about this I'm expecting on the journey of spiritual direction or spiritual friendship or the walking alongside an individual for the gap to close as the time goes on so we, we may begin someone might come and say you know James would you walk with me on certain things and and it looks like I'm the one with the answers and they're the but I'm expecting over time for that gap to close and I'm looking for ways to close that gap so that as time goes on we're equals we're all sharing what we have I'm learning off them as much as they're learning off me and that eventually there really isn't much in it. Do you see what I mean? I think that's been you know, helpful to me. So rather than I need to maintain the authority that I have, I need to be that Gandalf character, and I'm letting down the person I'm with if I say, I struggle with that as well, <laughs> or I don't know the answer on that, or can you teach me? You know, now that's a different role. So we are changing the role from that 
I've got all the answers, you've got all the questions. But, but I found that you know, helpful because it restores the other person to think they're making progress. And now I'm gaining out of it also. So now there's d- dangers in that as well. Just one other point. When spiritual formation groups were set up, when Richard Foster started these with um, you know, James, Brian, Smith, and into Graybill, the Renovare spiritual formation group was in some regard a response to the fact that it was very hard to find a spiritual director. And of course, economics comes here as well. You know, many people can't afford to pay. And a spiritual formation group is a listening group. Mm -hmm. It is a way to listen to the others. It is an opportunity to reflect back on the others without, you know, judgment. And it might be an alternative or a complement along with it. Or if you're having a season of spiritual direction, maybe then try a season of a spiritual formation groups. That also helps to, to avoid that it's me and Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's all about me because it's done in community and some of the practices are community practices. So that'll help, I think, as well. There's a chorus, isn't there? It's all about you, Jesus, only you. And the danger is it becomes it's only about me, you know, Jesus, only me. Right, yeah. And being in, <laughs> in a group, a group context helps us to overcome that, perhaps. That's right. And that goes back to what we were talking about with the, the nature of the Trinity. The foundation of all reality is relationship. The relationship of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit, and then that relationship being opened to all who bear God's image. Boy, we need one another. We need, yeah. we need God. We need each other. And we, we are all qualified to listen for God. One of you alluded to this, but I think sometimes we outgrow people and people outgrow us. And, and I, 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 if I give another caution, Having an end is sometimes really healthy and good. Yeah. And, you know, just because you've been doing something doesn't mean that that's what God would have for you moving forward. Renovari did a, a webinar on spiritual direction with Trevor Hudson and Jan Johnson. Oh, yeah. It was, it was good. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually ran it on the regular pod, the audio of it on the regular podcast of, of, a few weeks back. Yeah. Uh, so we'll put that in the show notes for folks if they want to explore more. But I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Did. Yeah. Spiritual direction is one of many good tools, right? There you go. It's it's a That's great right. it's a great tool. It is a great tool. But the goal is not just to be people who know how to use tools well. The goal <laughs> is to become like Jesus. Amen. Well, that's a good place to end, isn't it? <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Renovari's Friends in Formation. We are so glad you are here with us, and we do want you to send us your questions. Seriously, email us at friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org. And if we use your question on a future episode, we will send you a Friends in Formation coffee mug. We'd love for you to just head to renovari.org and check out all the resources there. 
But most of all, we thank you for being our friends in formation.